I don't know. Duck and cover, bitches. Hey. 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 How's it going? Uh, hey, Brett. Hey, how are good. you? We both had our hands over our head at the same time. Hey, we're working out. <laughs> we're real, real, real relaxed. relaxed. Real relaxed chill. and chill. So, um, uh, this is our first podcast, official, yes. official, official. You could say it's the pilot, pilot episode, yeah, I guess. Yeah, pilot week one, week one. Here in the book, week one, day one, episode yep. one, 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 one. My name is Brett, and uh, my gal Bree. This, and this is actually her brilliant idea. Um, Bree and I have have long since had a really good banter uh, back and forth and um had common interests and one being drinking mm -hmm. which we're both very mm -hmm. fond of and very good at too interestingly enough she reached out to me and was like hey what do you think about doing a weather podcast and i was like wow how crazy that you mentioned that because i love weather i love <laughs> and um i'm a bit of an old man i like to just turn the weather channel on leave it on and just kind of check things out for the day. Like, what's what's the day gonna what, what's gonna bring? I think it came to me because I have a what I figure is actually a very natural interest in disasters and mm. things that could happen yeah. without you knowing it. And part of it was me knowing the name of certain disasters and having a general idea of like, oh, that's a really big thing that happened, but not knowing any details, not knowing what actually happened, how affected people when it happened. And so I wanted to know those details. And more I looked into things and dug deeper, I realized I feel like I'm not the only one that feels like this. Yeah. Yeah. I'm Brina and I live in Pacific Northwest. Yeah. This is particularly dangerous situation. So a particularly dangerous situation is when there is an outbreak or a overload, so to speak, of like crazy, crazy, crazy weather, like back to back to back to back mm -hmm. to back kind of stuff. Well, to be fair though, cause sometimes we might go over occasionally things that aren't weather related. Uh, we might hit like a plane crash right. or something. But I think 90% of our stuff or more is going to be weather related. Yeah. Or weather influenced. Or weather influenced, yes. Because I think it's incredible the things that our globe, because it is a globe and it's not flat, <laughs> does. Uh, Every flat earther right does. now is responding on Twitter. Fuck you. You're wrong. <laughs> and that was our first one-star <laughs> review. Thank you for that. We appreciate it. So all reviews count and all of them matter. <laughs> Your flat earth uh, ideals do not matter though. So, <laughs> oh, and what I was gonna say about the atmosphere too is what's really interesting is with climate change and how much it's altering our globe and weather patterns and changing stuff that changing we are looking- Changing huh? our culture. Yeah, but we're looking for, not for, but our future is gonna be filled with possibly much more disasters, much more intense disasters and a more like more severity and more frequency yeah of different types of disaster and weather. Agreed. And honestly, uh, the interesting thing that, that kind of caught my attention with regards to the timing of our podcast was they're doing this worldwide strike. And I was like, wow, I mean, the yeah. what, what is the, what's the, what are the chances that this is coinciding with the release of our podcast is that we have, and the, I am beyond amazed that the youth of the United States and the world, frankly, are coming mm -hmm. out in droves to say, you're leaving us with a shit show. Stop it. Yep. Fix it because you have the ability to do so. Do it now. Do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? Or? I'm going to, I'm always going to allude to, so heads up podcast followers. I'm always going to tell Bree to go first because I'm constantly last minute and always scrambling for more information. So I'm always going to just oblige and tip the hat to my dear friend, Bree. <laughs> always. All right. always. As I'm like already editing this document after I've already done it. All right. Okay. Today, I'm going to be talking about Vanport and the Vanport hmm. floods. If anyone's from Pacific Northwest, you've heard probably about Vanport before. 
and I'm going to give you a little bit of uh, information, some history on Vanport before we go into the floods. Yeah. Vanport, also known as Vanport City or Kaiserville, was public housing built on 648 acres of land. It's in very North Portland by like the Columbia River, pretty close to Washington. It's where Delta Park and the Portland International Waceway Raceway is now. That's where um, yes. Okay. So the raceway. Yeah. Cause I used to go there for the, uh, the Christmas light thing. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Great. Part of it is in the Kenton neighborhood. Yep. I got, so everyone knows so I could get my list of references real quick <laughs> because I have a few. I watched some documentaries and goodness gracious. I went on, of course, Wikipedia, Oregon Encyclopedia, OregonHistoryProject.org, ColumbiaRiverImages.com, OregonHistoryProject.org, and SmithsonianMag.com. Nice. So, nice. I read more than I thought I would. <laughs> Portland in general, the Portland area do does get floods. And part of it is because Portland has the river, the Willamette River that goes and separates Portland into the east side and the west side. And before they actually built Portland properly, um, it would just flood in all the inner southeast and southwest areas because Portland is because we had ports and so boats come in through that river to deliver stuff. It was pretty commonly um, flooded. It's still so. <laughs> <laughs> so Vanport was actually a new city created. It's a mixture of Vancouver and Portland, hence Vanport. And it was built in August of 1942. It was a, like I said earlier, a public housing. It's public housing that the Housing Authority of Portland built. It was built in 110 days. The big reason why they needed this housing was this was during the war. So this 1942, they need more ships to be built. And good old Kaiser had, I believe, three shipyards in this area and nowhere for people to live. Especially if you're a person of color, you're only allowed to live in the Albina district in Portland. Wow. Kaiser actually was like, hey, why don't you have your own public housing here? That's what everyone else does for me. And they're like, well, we don't have a housing authority. And they're like, hey, you get funding from the U.S. government federally fund federal funding to build these houses and kaiser's like you know what? whatever here's some money start building shit yeah. make it quick make it fast and at the time when it was built like i said 110 days to complete it was the largest public housing project in the united states oh no way which is like huge that is huge because i don't know i mean i feel like there's been a lot of other general undertakings of, of housing projects in the u.s but that i didn't know that this is the largest yeah. yeah. And it was like for the time, yeah. as I kind of mentioned before, at the time, it was hard for African-American to find housing in Portland and Vanport was a little, a little bit different. The real estate industry code of ethics restricted African-Americans to the Albina district, which was too small to accommodate the new res. And this is known as redlining. If anyone's ever heard of this, it's pretty much like when real estate's like, you're darker than white, you can't live here. Sorry, you have to go to one place. What? Hence That's why you tend to have... And this is why you have neighborhoods of people of color. Like that is actually how that happened in the first place is because of racism. Oh. Um, Portland and Oregon in general was not welcoming place for people of color. And African-Americans were limited to work on railroads or as domestics in homes and hotels. Oregon's first constitution prohibited African-Americans from entering the state. Whoa. An 1844 law came out that did not allow African-American settlers in Oregon. What year was it? This law came out in 1844. Oh my God. So this is stuff that like, I know that Oregon has a racist past, but you just don't yeah. really know the details. Until you start well, I'm it. not going to, first time I came there, there was, I did not see a lot of culture. No, it's funny too, because people feel like Portland is diverse and we are a little bit more diverse in the world of LGBTQ. For sure. But yeah. still not, we still have a lot of issues, a lot of homophobia, transphobia and stuff right. like that too. Yeah. KKK also had a hold on the state with up to 200,000 members in the 1920s. Oh, damn. Okay. So that's not far away from the war no. either. In Vanport, there was a blend. It was Caucasians, African-Americans mostly, but there's still a lot of segregation within Vanport, right. but not the schools, which was really interesting. So the schools were not segregated in Vanport, this other part. And part of that was places that were segregated were mostly due to the civilians that lived there because there's still racist white people living, working, at the shipyards, living at the place, but still not wanting to live next to a person of color, essentially. When the schools, they just had, and I think maybe because they didn't have as many, it could be because they only had so many teachers or so many schools, but it was just completely um, integrated, Ugh, intrograted. 
green. In it integrated. <laughs> Thank you. That's the word. <laughs> and for those of you who haven't seen our other videos, Brie is not always the best at pronouncing certain words. <laughs> no. I also like to talk really fast and then I stumble and across. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yep. In Vanport, it was over 9,000 apartments built. Uh, most were part of like 14 units, two stories. Yeah. And the standard apartment had a living room, a kitchenette, a bathroom, a shower, and one bedroom. Okay. With standard, but a lot of these places families lived in. Which is pretty much your New York flat. <laughs> yes, exactly. Awesome. Only bigger. <laughs> and then each of the four buildings shared a common utility building with a coal furnace, a hot water heater, laundry room, and a bathtub. Okay. And of course, to save money and time, the apartments were built just with wood foundation. So they really don't have a great foundation. No, absolutely. And it really was because this housing is supposed to be temporary. It's not supposed to last forever. It's supposed to just get through the war and be done. What I found really interesting about this city was it was a 24-hour city. Wow. So since shipyards had 24-hour kind of shifts, like you could go in a graveyard Yard, you know, all yeah. these types of shifts, the city was too to match that. So they had a 24 hour movie theater, a year round school. Their grocery store was very, not futuristic, I guess, but <laughs> innovative. Their, their grocery stores are very innovative because they had ready meal, ready made meals. Which, um, to be fair, is actually a pretty modern thing. So, yeah. this day and age, it's, it's very normal. But these, yeah, honestly, even in the 80s, that was something that was modern. So yay to them. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's what makes it so impressive is they weren't, because a lot of times they didn't have time to cook food. So you could just pick up your food at the grocery store that's already mm -hmm. made. Vanport, because where it was built, it is actually 15 feet below water level. Between 1943 and 1944, people started to move in masses. However, after the shipyards closed, people started leaving. So they had... At the highest point, they had 40,000 people. After the war, they had 18,500. So it diminished so much. They decided, Vanport people decided, hey, let's build Vanport Extension Center, or also known as Vanport College. That is now known as PSU. Stop! So, Stop it! Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> no way! Which is where I, I go to school. To go there, girl! <laughs> okay. okay, I love it. The housing turned into veteran housing because the goal was for Vanport College to be built for veterans who are coming back from the war to use their GI Bill and attend college. Okay. So that's kind of cool, like a good way to reuse housing, I feel yeah. like. There were still people who wasn't going to Vanport that still lived in Vanport. And once again, that has to do with some people just not having the money and some people not being white. So they, okay. it, it was hard to find anywhere else to live. Yep. Oh yeah, and like I said, the 15 feet under is because it's on reclaimed lowlands along the Columbia River. Oh my. Now let's get to the, holy shit, it's gonna get wet. <laughs> holy shit, <laughs> just wait, there's more. <laughs> there's more! <laughs> so, in the winter of 1947 through 19, Siri was trying to talk to me, Siri sorry. Is okay. so, bitch, girl, I am not okay. ready. <laughs> bitch, I'm talking. Winter of 1947 through 1948, the previous snowpack was 75 to 135% more than normal. Wow. Temperatures were higher after the winters, and two major rainstorms came through the area. Between May 19th and the 23rd of 1948 and May 26th through the 29th of 1948, with all that extra rain and rainstorm, water started to fill stuff. It started filling that river. It started filling all kind of around mm -hmm. that Portland general area. So by May 25th, the Columbia and Willamette rivers were at 23 feet, which is eight feet over the flood stage. <laughs> so it's already that's like, like that's like you and me stacked on each other. Yes. Yes. That's both of us stacked on each like other. That is huge. And maybe like a cat. Like <laughs> maybe, maybe a cat. cat on top. Oh, I'm at eight feet. I mean, I'm five foot. You're five foot. So it'd be a little bit less. Okay. Than us. All right. Sorry. Jesus. I can't add at all. I mean, you're five foot something. I said five foot, but at <laughs> least uh, <laughs> I'm like the five foot pretty right. much. So what's kind of weird was, do you know what a berm is? Yes. Oh, good. I had to Google it because I, it kept saying it. And I was like, do, what do the you hell? You want to hear this? something funny? Okay. Little, little, little huh. offshoot side note. 
I only know what a berm is because of A, my dad, I know what it is from golf, and B, I know it from my husband, who is a mountain biker, and <laughs> I actually built a berm, so I was like, yay! Oh, <laughs> perfect. Right. For our listeners, they don't quite get the idea of what could this thing be. I guess you could try to yeah. guess. Good try. So a berm <laughs> is a flat, that was some try. You get a break and go, you don't get it, five seconds, you lose. <laughs> <laughs> so berm is a flat strip of land raised bank or terrace bordering a river or canal vanport was surrounded by berms yep. so they had one called like the spokane berm the portland berm the seattle berm and there this, little, this like, stuff is all like now like built up into tiny cool little hills that people actually mountain bike these days at least i think so which is which is totally which normal. would be amazing yeah. <laughs> surrounding areas started to flood due to the overflow around vanport a radio alert was issued the night before the flood not many residents evacuated and some that relied on public transportation couldn't evacuate yeah. the public transportation they had was mostly to go to the kaiser shipyard it wasn't actually to go into portland or which anything. is interesting because portland so, has had a very long-standing history of having some of the best public transportation in all of the yeah um and, and you might question is it because it's not technically portland like is it because it's vanport and not portland true but even now there's to northeast and to all those different areas the, the yeah the pattern of public transportation is better than anywhere else in the country period hands yeah. i've experienced it i've been from a b all over to like in Portland and around and to different areas. I mean, like I've taken shift to Gresham and been fine. You know what yeah. I mean? So the public transportation yeah. now is amazing. So yeah, I would bet that even back then they were still better than the rest of the country. Oh, I'm sure they yeah. were. One of the things was the closest transit was miles away. Yeah. I think it was Vanport and then not much else until you got closer to Portland. Right. So that might Definitely have been part not of as it. Inundated with the you know places to go or see or whatever as it is today. Yeah. Exactly. So we've passed like May 25th and there's a radio alert the night before the flood. So May 30th, 1948, which is Memorial Day. So this is the night before. Now, you know, when the flood happens yeah. is when the radio alert goes out. Um, Housing Authority issued the following statement. They essentially typed this up on a piece of paper and stuck it to the doors. Oh, remember, dykes are safe at present. You will be warned if necessary. You will have time to leave. Don't get excited. Oh, no. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. What kind of weather uh, alert is that? That is horrible. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's the time too, but they're pretty much saying like, nah, you're fine. You cool. Don't worry. You're yeah. not, you're, we're not going to flood. Yeah, tell you. We trust. You can knock yeah. on your door. It's good. Yeah. No. No. <laughs> so much no. So they wake up to that and they're like, okay, we chill and whatever. But it's Memorial Day. So not everyone's at home anyways. They're going out and about right. and, you know, having their fun. So, so wait, I, I, at, so I don't even at this point, they've already had a good amount of rain. So yes. do you think that people have been like, F this, we're out because it's shitty here. We're going to go like down south or we're going to go to the Midwest because it's Memorial Day weekend. Let's take off and let's get away from the shitty weather. Maybe. Okay. I think a lot of the flooding, because it stopped raining on the 29th. So it was raining five, it was like three consecutive days and two consecutive days, something like that, quite a bit. And they might've been like, let's stick the F out of here. Or they could just be like, it's Memorial Day, let's go barbecue somewhere. Yeah. And I mean, people before that moving wise also moved out a while ago, but I don't know if they knew that this was going to happen. Cause I think it's that stereotypical, like, I never think this would actually happen to me, but it happens to everyone everywhere yeah. 4 17 p.m which this is may so it's not very dark yet the seattle railway berm collapsed so what essentially happened is the water saturated these berms and like just melted them away oh and they just so so for for those of you who haven't started looking it up berms are kind of like mm -hmm. little mini dams they're they really are like they're, they're mm -hmm. walls they're just like whoop, you yeah. know and they well i told them it was a hill of water <laughs> yeah <laughs> i told you <laughs> they're like little, i told but yeah little protective like tiny little dams they're like little like you know and they kind of protect so for something to be saturated and just bye like oh that's bad. yeah that's bad that's isn't that crazy yeah holy crap that is when the flooding began mm. the water was up to 10 feet like 10 feet tall draining into vanport okay 
So for y'all that don't know, that's like a like five feet above your car. Like your your fucking yeah. car. Your car. Yep. Like a lot of people don't they like, oh, 10 feet. Like that's not that's not too bad. I'm like, dude, that's up to a second story window almost. Yeah. You know? That that's tall. That's a lot of water. Oh wow. yeah. So we do have some good news and bad news when this happens. I'm going to quote Wikipedia, of course. Oh, I'm going to. According I'm to historical <laughs> Wikipedia today. <laughs> <laughs> That's what most people You're do. Good. You're good. According to historical marker, the break happened at an old railroad cut that has been filled in because of the numerous slows. Slows. I, I try to look that up. I think it's slows. 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 I just mentioned sloths there. <laughs> Numerous sloths and backwaters in the area. The progress of the flood was delayed by 30 minutes about, giving the residents time to escape. Now, when you look this up, some will say 25. I'm sorry. Grab your yeah. entire fucking life and get out in 30 minutes. What? Yeah. No. no. Yeah. Mm-mm. Well, <laughs> when this happened, the emergency sirens at least started to sound. So, you know, good I mean, job with the flyers, but yeah. actual good job with sirens. For 30 yeah. minutes? Oh, we have to yeah and something said like some say 25 some say 40 it all ran out to about 30 minutes so we don't know exactly how much time they had so it's about half an hour so like your favorite primetime show amount of time to evacuate even though you were just told that morning that you would be warned and everything was fine with that super super awesome little note (laughs) by warn they mean (laughs) by warn they mean when it happens we'll tell you (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> when the ner- emergency siren started sound, the residents began to head up to North North Denver Avenue, which is higher ground yep. of Vanport. Within 20 hours, the city was covered by 20 feet of water. Because oh remember, this Vanport was 20 feet below sea water. So less, sea level, less than a day, less than a day, it was mm-hmm. basically underwater, the whole thing. And yep. 20 feet, yep. ladies and gentlemen, is about a second story apartment. So yeah, so all those houses and like all those apartments, which is so devastating. Mm -hmm. And that means like people were, I mean, it's not the same, like maybe on the radio you would hear, but like there's people out and about enjoying their Memorial Day, visiting graves and finding out, coming home to find out their home is gone. Everything in there is gone. You know, people hanging out on Denver Avenue and then at 930 Denver Avenue broke. Oh, oh, no, 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 no. And during this time, another dike broke through as well. Oh so that God. means they had no more escape <gasps> route. And that means they had no more entry route either. So you can't get in, you can't get out. Oh my God. You're just fucked. So it's like a, it's crazy? like a giant fucking swimming pool. They're like, hey, guess what? Yes. You can swim for the next 30 some odd hours until we rescue your ass or you just, you die. Like that's. Yeah. Cause I mean, oh, some of those roofs, oh. like are probably below water. They have pictures, which I'll be posting 100%. on our social media. Um, but yeah, like those roofs are gonna be underwater. And then also don't forget, it's wood foundation. Yeah. That's so that's like not hold. very sturdy. No, that's not gonna hold yeah. nothing. Not at all. It'll instantly be washed away. If it's wood on dirt, that's, that. what, what is that? That's nothing. Yeah, Literally nothing. that's like nothing. Wow. So water filled the homes and stores and some up to the roofs. Denver Avenue, the only street in or out of the city, was crowded with the whole town trying to escape. They watched as houses floated through the water. Many homes and businesses, if not demolished, were not on their foundation properly anymore. Surprise. (laughs) I mean, I'm not going to lie. I feel like even today, so when I moved to Portland, when was that, like five Mm -hmm. years ago, six years ago? I, I was like looking at homes and I'm like, those, those aren't sturdy. Those aren't sturdy. Like, I'm just looking at like, that's going to just whoop, just gone. You know, it'll be easy. Oh yeah. And I think that there's a vast majority of old school Portland homes that are still that way. So. Oh yeah. As, as I was saying before, uh, people were away from their homes and there was about the 18,500 residents of Vanport. So this is hard. So they say there wasn't a high death toll, right? Yeah. But people don't believe it. And it's kind of one of those, I don't, I don't blame the people who don't believe what the media has said in this circumstance. It is reported that 15 Vanport residents died that day. 15. 15. One five. One five, yeah. That's not true. Yeah, <laughs> it's exactly, right? Like, no, you're, no, no, there's no, no way. Even without 30 minutes, there's absolutely no way. Not. 
There were rumors that more people died with whispers of cover-ups by the Housing Authority of Portland and the government. Not that we're conspiracy theory, but come on. Yeah. But there was no proof to back them up. Yeah. And it does depend how long was the water in there? How long were bodies in there? You know, like there's a lot of decomping and stuff. Yeah. How high is the temperature? No, I, that, that's not accurate at all. No, I don't think it's only 15. There's just no way. And especially because there is a history of people not caring about people of color. And there was a high amount of people coming there. And I think that makes a difference too, that they just didn't report. Yeah. It's really heartbreaking. That, and like I said, like, it's like, oh yeah, 15, my ass. <laughs> so Red Cross set up temporary housing and some, uh, this is a really nice, wholesome part. Some families from the surrounding cities took in some of the refugees. Um, and there was a lot of these families that did not care about who these people were, which is really kind of nice to see people actually being part of the community and not racist assholes and being like, please come in my home and let me give you dinner and let you sleep somewhere. Yeah. And unfortunately, Vanport never recovered from the floods and people were not allowed to move back to their homes. Oh, um, it's really heartbreaking. Uh, in June, on June 11th, 1948, so a month, less than a month later, Harry S. Truman flew to Portland to look at the damage. Yeah. One of the interesting parts about the flood is since the racial issues were so high in Oregon and Portland, like I said, like, oh, you can only move to Albina District. Yeah. Some believe that the flood actually helped the um, integration of uh, African-Americans in Portland. Nice. And many African-Americans moved to the Northeast and North Portland. That kind of, it spread out at least some more neighborhoods where people can live versus just the Albina neighborhood. Okay. Um, or Albina districts. Albina district had seven neighborhoods at the time with the schools, especially like there's um, a, one of the documentaries talking about how influential the schools were, especially for the kids, because we know racism is taught. It's not something you're born 100%. with. 100%. Um, yeah. So having these kids right away being treated like normal kids together and not being viewed on differently made a difference on those kids. And I think some of the community around them. Yeah. But the thing is, like, there shouldn't have to be something this shitty to happen for that to happen correct but it's the freaking you know late 40s yeah that, i mean it was hard at that time because like you had to yeah. deal with just general racism you know what i mean like it was more yeah. of like a whole united states thing not just a, 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 a um a natural state thing yeah so. well because like nowadays a lot of our racism is based uh, systemically for sure and uh, socially it wasn't quite as black and white as if you are a person of color, you can't not live here. Yeah. They, they kind of hide it in different ways now, but it wasn't so like outwardly said. Uh, it's not so outwardly said nowadays. Yeah. So that's just incredible. Woo! Yeah, that is, that is a Vanport flood. I mean, I've got a lot to live up to because A, I did not do nearly as much research as you. <laughs> I'm all like, to be fair, literally on the computer, like, okay, how do I I'm going to look up this, blah, blah, blah. So um, impressive as I'll get out because I actually Thank remember, you. I don't know if I read it somewhere or if I saw it something like on a, um, a documentary or whatever, but like I legit saw something that talked about that and I was like, wow, um, this, this is really close to me because like we, AJ and I, as you know, we lived in Northeast. Mm -hmm. So we were very close yeah. to the Kenton neighborhood and, and we rode our bikes past that, uh, the racetrack all the time. And I remember yeah. the first time I heard about that, they had a neighborhood in that racetrack and how it flooded out. And I was like, holy shit, no way. How did this happen? And so knowing where we were at that time, that's kind of one of the things that prompted me to get a bug out bag in the first place. I was like, okay, what ha would happen if we ever flooded? that close again, mm -hmm. we are on a single story. Well, we were in a two story place, but we were on the first floor. And so like, yeah, want just to be safe, let's go ahead and make sure that we have everything we need, blah, blah, blah. So, all right. Um, my topic today is um, actually sort of a foundation built on the whole PDS, particularly dangerous situation, which is mm -hmm. when there is an outbreak. So I hadn't realized it and you had actually posted for me Hey, did you realize that this was an actual neuro, like meteorological? I almost said neurological. <laughs> I'm a product of where I work. Uh, meteorological situation, and I was like, "Wait, what? Really? Oh my god, no way!" So there is actually terminology that has been built around PDS, which I love. 
So um, that my thing that I wanted to talk about, and so again, um, ever since I was a child, I was fascinated by weather. And ever since I was very, very, very little, even before I knew what tornadoes were, I was actually dreaming about them, which was very interesting. So like, I don't know if I like inadvertently knew what they were, because I must have as a child, mm -hmm. but I've always dreamed about tornadoes. And it's not just one, it's multiple. And it's always in my dreams. Like 90% of my dreams have a tornado of some sort. Um, so I know that some dream people are probably going to reach out and like, re like, oh, this means this. Great. Um, I've looked it up. I've, I've interpreted it, whatever. Um, but the interesting thing is that as a phenomenon for weather, they are utterly fantastic. They are the ultimate or the penultimate weather event to me. Um, because they, they create, um, they come from a very unique source and they create the most disaster. And to me, like I said, that's the most interesting, not that that's the best. And I'm not telling you that disaster is amazing and that I love that people like lose their houses, whatever. That's not what I'm, I think when you say interesting though, like they're the most interesting, the fascinated yeah. by it. Right. So, so that, that being said now, um, in 2011, there was what they call a super outbreak. And so my sources are many because I was doing this all while Brie was talking, but US <laughs> um, there is a, um, uh, a Washington Post um, article that I sourced. There is, of course, weather.gov. There is ustornadoes.com and, of course, Wikipedia, which is one of my favorites because they just kind of take in everything. The National Weather Service, so weather.gov itself. Um, and then, of course, for my preparedness instructions, um, uh, stormware.mo.gov. So lots and lots of resources, um, but my favorite, of course, is Wikipedia because, in my opinion, I feel like Wikipedia has amazing information um, with regard to tornadic events. So the mm -hmm. 2011 super outbreak um, was, as documented, the largest and costliest and one of the deadliest tornado outbreaks ever recorded in the U.S. history. Um, it, oh wow! Yeah, huge, huge, <laughs> and I, huge, huge. Uh, <laughs> when when uh, Brie and I talked, and I told her about how many tornadoes happened in an hour aspect, she was like, "Holy shit! Like that many tornadoes in an hour?" I'm like, "Yeah, talk about crazy." So just just wait, it gets good. Okay. <sighs> so um, the event affected southern, midwestern, northeastern, and United States. And it just left catastrophe, just absolute catastrophe, like just, just annihilated areas. Um, it affected Alabama and Mississippi, but also Arkansas, Georgia, Tennessee, and Virginia. Um, wow. And in total, 360 tornadoes were confirmed by the National Weather Source. Okay, so... <laughs> 360 <laughs> tornadoes can i just emphasize that's a lot. that's a lot like literally it's the wind spinning in a funnel and touching the fucking ground like that's a big deal it happened in 21 states from texas to new york even southern canada at that time um widespread and holy crap i know even I guess I have a quick question. Does it count as a tornado? Like, do these get characters, like you were saying, when they actually touch ground? Yeah. Or touch they, something, they I assume? Touch ground. Everything that okay. was listed here touch ground, as far as I know. Jeez. No, yeah. Just to reiterate, folks, Bree and I are absolutely 100% armchair meteorologists, being that we are observers. We more mm -hmm. due diligence in some research, but we are not experts in the area. So if we are, nope. please feel free to let us know, hey, you mis, um, misappropriated or mis, misspoke that this is blah, blah, blah. Please tell us. So um, actually, we really appreciate it because we like to learn more and uh, everyone makes mistakes. Yep. And so we're more than happy to learn from those mistakes. Did you say mistakes? No, but now I'm hungry. <laughs> steak? Like a, like a mick? I think I have banana gunk stuck in my throat. 
And I think it's making me say weird things. Everybody's makes mixed steaks. Mixed steaks. Um, <laughs> and they are mixed steaks. We are all about it. All right. We're definitely okay with it then. Yeah, I'm in, I'm into mixed steaks. Um, I like to mix them up yeah. too. Uh, okay. <laughs> dinner time. <laughs> all right. So here's here's the kicker. You're ready for this. This is the kicker. Yes. Widespread. This now I am literally verbatim quoting Wikipedia. So please don't call me out on it. But widespread and destructive tornadoes occurred on each day of the outbreak. April 27th being the worst day with a record of 216 tornadoes touching down from midnight to midnight. That is 12 hours, or wait, am I? No, uh, 24. <laughs> 24 hours. I'm horrible. Get more alcohol in me. Um, 24 hours, 216 tornadoes. That's two thirds of all the tornadoes that happened too. Oh, so two thirds. That is all my nightmares. In yeah. It should be. It should be everyone's nightmares in 24 hours to have two thirds of the most. Because you said 360 within the whole period, correct. right? Correct. And how long is the whole period? Uh, it was four four days, I think. Three or four days. Three or four. I wow. To be sure. But yeah, that's sure. incredible. So just well, it took the an amazing amount of tornadoes. Okay. And that means they touch down. Now, granted, some tornadoes just literally touch and come back up. Some tornadoes touch, mm -hmm. travel a bit, and come back up. And then some tornadoes touch and just go. And those, of course, are the most dangerous. So four of the tornadoes were destructive enough to be rated EF5, which is the highest ranking, ranking um, possible on the Fujita scale. So for those of our podcast listeners who do not know the Fujita scale, uh, so I will um, elaborate. Um, and EF0. Yes is 65 to 85 miles per hour. That's the wind, the wind speed, okay? So it's light damage. Um, mm -hmm. EF1 is moderate damage. That's 86 to 110 miles per hour. And EF2, which is probably more often than not the most common, from my understanding, uh, tornadic activity, is 111 to 135, and it's considerable damage. EF3 is 136 to 165, and it's severe damage. EF4, of which there are not many, 166 to 200, and that's considered devastating, and an EF5, of which there are very few on record, um, and that's over mm -hmm. 200 miles, and that's what they call, literally, and I'm not quoting this, or I am quoting this, I'm sorry, I'm not quoting, of course, I'm quoting it. You're not making <laughs> I'm literally doing finger quotes as I say it. Incredible incredible damage okay so <laughs> that it's like the particularly dangerous situation like who comes up with these terms <laughs> yeah incredible damage Honestly, the EF5. The like that does the, all weather shit loves to use finger quotes <laughs> yeah it just makes me laugh that they're uh like their technical wording for some things are just it's so all finger quotes so humorous yeah so um, yes. just a quick, again, a quick aside that the Fujita scale was introduced in 1971 by Ted Fujita. Okay. Uh, it began being used in the U.S. Actually, here's what's interesting. It didn't get used in the U.S. until 2007. Oh, okay. That surprises oh. me because I thought the F scale was actually still utilized um, in yeah. the 70s and stuff, but that's not true. They just had wind speeds and that was it. They didn't have an F oh so um learn something new every day um so yes. i thought that was super super interesting i was gonna say at first when with vegeta i was thinking dragon ball z <laughs> <laughs> like are these his Vigil like i thought it was a tv i mean i was like yeah, <laughs> it's a TV, right so there we go okay great <laughs> um during the actual outbreak the max tornado measurement was an actual ef5 okay duration mm -hmm. was three days seven hours and 18 minutes and that was from like tornadic to activity to tornadic activity is my understanding the highest wind speed was 210 miles an hour i'm not gonna lie but if you put something out on your porch 
And then wind speeds come by and pick it up at 210 miles an hour. It then becomes a projectile, which means that it can actually impale you and you will die if you are impaled with said object. So also, you no longer have a porch. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, your porch is now your gone. Porch is gone. And not only that, you're now in town with your own porch. So <laughs> porch and items upon porch. Uh, right. So um, one, get inside. Um, do your best to, to get into an area that is secured. Now, the hard part is doing that. Um, I actually read today that there is a home company called Dell Tech. This is not an ad. But there is a home company called Dell Tech that actually, with their particular homes, they have survived hurricanes that are in the five or four region, and they've survived because the way the wind hits them and because of how they're built, they go around the structure. I'm not surprised that most homes are taken out because they're square. There's an edge mm -hmm. and an edge and an edge, and those particular winds are going to hit that edge. They're going to pick it up, and that's going to there. There goes your home. For these particular tornadic events, um, I did look up the fatalities because I found that um, one. I'm a true crime person, and I'm always like fatality, fatality. What's happening? Blah blah blah. You know, I'm fascinated by that, but I, I I'm not shedding light on the fact that like oh my god this many people died and how fabulous no definitely not but my thing is is that you have to be very 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 prepared in the utmost possibility mm -hmm. that something like this would happen because there can fatalities can occur not only during but even after so mm -hmm. in this particular outbreak 348 people were killed as a result of it and 324 relate tornado related deaths across six states 24 additional fatalities caused by other storm related events such as straight line winds hail and flash flooding or lightning so somebody was struck by lightning or they are caught in a flash flood because of said events yada 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 but overall a lot of people were involved in deaths because of those particular tornadoes april 27 wow. 317 fatalities were the most tornado-related fatalities in the United States because of the tri-state outbreak, or since the tri-state outbreak, I'm sorry, since March 18, 1925, when 747 people were killed. Now, 1925, shit was made really bad. <laughs> like, people would have <laughs> stuff, wood slats, whatever, like, wood foundations, they <laughs> I'm about to say, do we need to talk about those wood foundations? We talk about wood foundations for a second, okay? They don't work, people. Mm -hmm. um, so, because of that, um, you know, again, they'll that, probably save lives. But uh, nearly 500 preliminary local storm reports received four tornadoes over four days, including 292 in 16 states on April 27th alone. So that wow. day alone was the hallmark for like, holy shit, tornado outbreak. Okay. Yeah. So I did a quick research on survivors and I found a survivor from 2011. Here is his story. On April 27, 2011, a tornado outbreak struck Smithville, Mississippi, after hearing the alert, I walked outside. It was particularly cloudy and warm, but it turned cool so quickly that I thought it was over and I walked back inside my house. I lived in an apartment in a house that was a double wall, soundproof wall that separated my apartment from my neighbors. I was watching the news, WTVA. Chief Meteorologist Matt LeBon said the storm was coming to Smithville, and I just stood there watching, waiting, and looking at the TV, thinking, this isn't going to happen, as we all do. Uh, about 30 seconds later, the power went out, and the entire house shook for a minute and then stopped, and I thought it was over, so I was about to get up from my floor when the shaking began again and wouldn't stop this time. I felt the pressure drop, and as the shaking got louder, I got worried. Then I felt like the house exploded. I woke up an hour and a half later in a field a quarter mile away from the house. 
with cuts to my body and a deep cut to my head covered in blood, dirt, and grass. I was taken to Tupelo, Mississippi, which, uh, uh, where I spent two weeks in recovery. Holy shit. You don't remember. Can you imagine that? That kind of event is so traumatic. Like you literally lose your memory. You don't know what happened. Well, I'm sure his head got hit too and stuff too. Like, I'm sure that has to be part of it, but holy crap. Right? I was just like, oh my God, this guy experienced the penultimate of an actual tornadic event. So when yeah, I, the fact that he survived. I know, I know. And I'm so, I'm just like, oh my God, he lived. Oh, it's amazing. Um, so let's see. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Okay. So again, the most notable outbreaks occurred on the 27th. Um, the damage actually was about $25 billion in damage. So in, in California terms, hella expensive. <laughs> um, and yeah, like really, really super, super expensive. Uh, death toll from the storms reached 337 across seven states, including 246 in Alabama, the largest death toll um, ever recorded again on history was the 747 from the 1925 outbreak that occurred. Uh, So when you kind of put it in perspective, it's pretty damn close. And you're like, oh my God, that's, I can relate to that. So then I did some research on like why, why the hell this happened. So it said, according to Wikipedia and weather.gov, that the outbreak was occurred, uh, occurred because of vigorous upper level trough that moved into the Southern Plains on the 25th. An extropical cyclone developed ahead of the upper level trough between the Northeastern Oklahoma and Western Missouri border and moved Northeastward. Conditions were similar on April 26, which predicted a likelihood of severe thunderstorms, including the extended threat of strong and violent long track tornadoes throughout the afternoon into the evening hours. And they said something about Cape values, which I'm actually looking up. So it's convective available potential energy. And like, we can, we can post this graphic, but basically um, what they do is, so it says in meteorology, Convective available potential energy, also abbreviated as CAPE, is the amount of work that the buoyancy force would perform on a given mass of air lifted a certain distance vertically through the atmosphere. It's an indicator of atmospheric instability. And instability is exactly what's needed, from my understanding, for a tornadic event, okay? Mm-hmm. In any given atmospheric sounding a necessary condition for the development of cumulus and cumulonimbus clouds, again, this shit that's going to pr- produce like crazy severe thunderstorms and tornadoes, uh, clouds would attend at severe weather hazards. Its value sets an approximate upper thermodynamic speed limit on wind speed and tornadoes. So this kind of information is necessary for them to go, hey, this is going to pre, this is, this is a predeterminate thing. This is going to be a tornado. And that's why they give tornado warnings, right? So, um, the storm mode on April 26 was predicted to include mostly discrete tornadic supercells, uh, during both the afternoon and early evening. Um, mostly discrete. Once again, a funny, <laughs> it's discrete. It's just going to happen just like over here in a corner and it's fine yeah. it's fine you won't even notice it's fine. you're not even gonna notice this tornado get taken you're in the walmart you're doing your thing you're going shopping. <laughs> you're at your friend's house you're drinking wine it's over here it's discreet fine no it's not fine it's not fucking fine it's gonna tear out your okay. fucking house um as a storm system moved eastward towards ohio mississippi tennessee tennessee valley tennessee 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 sorry <laughs> I think I just quoted, it's fine. Um, what was that band? Tennessee. Tennessee. <laughs> I don't know if I know. I found the just... place. Take me. Okay, sorry. Oh. oh. <laughs> I just quoted them. Okay. Um, uh, a very powerful one, 80 to 100 knot mid-level jet stream moved into the Ohio and Tennessee Valley. Problem. Problem. Jet streams are a huge issue. So this is something I think that you and I are probably going to get into at some point where we talk mm-hmm. about how jet streams affect um, 
potential weather hazards because jet streams yeah. have a huge effect on that. And I don't think a lot of people know that. So it's like when they talk about it on TV, they're like, oh, this jet stream is coming here, blah, blah. And they're like, oh, so I'm going to get a little wind or I'm going to get a little rain or some snow. No, jet streams have a dramatic effect. Um, so this particular mm -hmm. one had a dramatic effect. It created a strong wind shear um, along with low pressure. And then so in the afternoon, that created these cape values to go like out of control. And then it created all these tornadic activities along Louisiana, Louisiana, Mississippi, Tennessee, all those areas. And so basically what happens is you have hot, maybe cold, and it doesn't like each other. They spin in this really weird atmosphere and all of a sudden, boom, tornado. Okay. Mm -hmm. Total of 56 severe weather watches were issued by the Storm Prediction Center, also known as the SPC, over four days in the outbreak area. It included 41 tornado watches. Wait, 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 wait. You ready for this, y'all? 10 of which were particularly dangerous situations. <laughs> okay, it's like when you watch the movie and they uh say the title know, of the movie in i'm not <laughs> trying to like i'm i'm not but i am but i am like honestly i'm not trying but i'm yeah. but i'm trying this pds watches what what uh hashtag pds watches um for 15 severe thunderstorm watches the spc assigns numbers to each severe weather wash including or issued Starting at the beginning of each year, the organization unsuccessfully used two of their allocated watch numbers during this outbreak, 209 and 208, but the rest were used. So it was a very heavy PDS situation, okay? Mm -hmm. So that was actually double situation, PDS situation. Ah, get it? Okay. It's like the ATM machine. <laughs> double, double. All right. So um, let's see. I also, what else did I look up? Blah, 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 blah. Um, so again, this was often compared to the other worst year for tornadoes on record, again, on record, mm -hmm. because I don't think, and honestly, Brie, I think we need to look this up is when we really truly started recording weather events because I, I feel like there's some some discrepancy in that like when it truly was started recording especially in the u.s they they started recording actual weather events because i know there was like the 1906 fire and they like recorded that or the uh, earthquake which caused the fire in san francisco well, yeah um excuse me i burped um <laughs> Um, but they do have on record that there was um a worse tornado or tornadic activity where there was 794 deaths in 1925 so the fact that they recorded that makes me think that there was actually earlier recordings um Record. of of the actual outbreaks maybe it depends what kind of reporting they did like is it like it just made it a newspaper or was it like a national thing was it just local because it might be True. like yeah you yeah, know i agree um, so further research told me that on April 27th, again, which is when the most tornadoes outbroke, 15 violent tornadoes were rated as an EF4. So they struck wow. Mississippi, um, Alabama, Tennessee, and Georgia. Alabama being the hardest hit with nine of those EF4, EF5 tornadoes, um, 11 mm. crossing within its boundaries and two of the deadliest tornadoes uh, since records even began. So um, really, really intense tornadoes. Um, the event summary in, in Alabama, which I got from weather.gov, as a part of a system which wreaked havoc across the eastern half of the United States, um, it was an account of the tornado outbreak of the 27th. Um, they completed an assessment of that day um, a couple of days after, there was 25, 29 confirmed tornadoes just in central Alabama alone. 62 confirmed tornadoes across the entire state. Um, and they, they box it out on this little map and you're like, holy shit, like that's a lot of tornadoes to happen in a very small area. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it just, it, it's just amazing to me that people would survive something like this um 
Well, and I find it really interesting too, because you're talking about how the EF4s and EF5s are more rare, yet there's like, oh, there was, you know, there was four. five of the four fours in four. Yeah. No problem. Like, that's incredible to see, like, this doesn't happen often, but when it does. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I'm like, holy cow, like, that's a lot. Yeah. And it's like, so um, it indicates on the weather.gov site that there was a couple that happened uh, like early on. And then it says mm -hmm. there was a second wave of EF4 and EF5s that happened later in the afternoon. And so they're just, they're, they're lagging, you know, they're logging all of these. And some of them were, so um, it says the combined tornado damage path in central Alabama was 691 miles. So that's a long way for tornadoes to travel, like a very long way. That's really far. Eight tornadoes had a damage path of 25 miles or longer. Eight tornadoes started or ended outside central Alabama. There were at least almost 2,000, 1,998 injuries were reported and 238 people lost their lives. So it was like one of the events of all the events to, to occur. Yeah. Okay. So for those that don't know, just so you know, a tornado outbreak, basically what happens is a powerful, and I'm getting this from the ncei.noaa.gov website, okay? Um, I love that website. Yes. I actually know I what it is. And the funny part is I actually NOAA. know exactly. I, I use them for snowboarding every year. I love them. <laughs> yeah. Um, it does sound funny when it's like, you just named a whole bunch of letters, but I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> it's like, oh, I like that website. And this is how you know we're weather geeks. Oh, um, so the longest that it went was 600 and what? Uh, I think it was 691, but let me double check. Well, I can tell you that between me and you, it's about a 10 hour drive. It's 666 miles between where we live. Yeah, there you go. So that is San Jose to Portland. That's that yeah. much mileage of damage. Yes, girl. Thanks for being on top yes. of it. <laughs> what would be a 10 hour drive is how far that tornado well, that Yeah, is. no, you're right. Because um, AJ and I actually stopped at 10 hours um, in Chico. And, yeah. um, which is not too far from here. So, um, yeah, well, actually it's a few hours, but to be honest, well, it depends what time of the day and how much you yeah, stop. And we stopped a lot. It's, it's a long fucking wait for a tornado to go. Um, so that's impressive. Um, for, for those who don't know about tornado outbreaks and what they are, um, as like I said, indicated by the, by the NOAA.gov site. A powerful low pressure system combined with moist and unstable, again, unstable is the key word, atmospheric conditions mm -hmm. to produce this now infamous tornado outbreak, which is again, QBS. You're welcome. That's our name. Okay. Woo. So <laughs> it does actually talk about the April 25th through the 28th outbreak that violently struck the southeastern U.S., resulting in roughly mm -hmm. 11 billion damages and leaving 321 people dead. So I know I quoted another amount earlier, but the final, final number was 321 people that died from that outbreak. Um, the most ferocious of those particular tornadoes was in Alabama. Um, the state alone accounted for 69 of the tornadoes that occurred. And they actually had the costliest tornado, which at its peak was an EF4. It was 1.5 miles, which is 26 football fields. I had no idea. And its winds reached 190 miles per hour. Um, that's pretty intense. I mean, I know that I've been in a car and like had my hair whipping around. And I was like, God damn it, this wind sucks. That's like five or 10 miles per hour people like let's put it in perspective because that's a lot so um brie i'm gonna actually send you this site so that you can post it because there yeah. is a visual of a Ooh. tuscaloosa uh tuscaloosa some tuscaloosa i i can talk 
uh, Tuscaloosa neighborhood, which is green and trees and roofs of houses and beautiful streets and cars. And then the next thing you see is utter dirt. Like this thing is wow. annihilated, annihilated. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. And so in April, and I'm going to also send you the graphic where it shows in this particular graphic, it says in April of 2011, that there was a total of 751 tornadoes in general. Now, not to be a negative Nelly and not to be somebody who's like, why the fuck, blah, blah, blah. But I still wonder to this day, why do you live where you live? <laughs> like, I just, I don't know. I say that and here I am in like, uh, California, California where the earthquake's going to happen. like, I'm pretty much going to fall into the goddamn ocean. But I think it's as hard to find a place where you don't have to worry about no, things. It, it really is. Like, if it's not winter storms where you're inundated by 15 feet of snow and you can't get out of yeah. your front door, or yeah. if it's floods, or if it's hail, or if it's wind, or like my parents live in Florida, like, like I, yeah, hurricanes, you know, all day. Well, there were tornadoes in Portland not long ago. No place there was a couple tornadoes. That's my determination, no place is safe. I just need to build yeah. a fucking bunker and live in that with no windows for the rest of my life. But yeah, that sounds I've fun. I've figured it out. I've, I've come up with a solution. Build a bunker, ladies and gentlemen, build a bunker. be prepared I mean to be fair I think our biggest advice is be know what can happen in your area and be prepared a lot of times emergency kits that you build yourself um one start it now even if it's piece by piece because something is better than nothing and even though you might not have everything for every single disaster event again something's better than nothing yeah agreed um, and, and I know that in worst case scenarios, like the, you're in a tornadic situation, um, everything's gone, everything. Yeah. Um, the interesting thing is if you survive, that means whatever was on your back survives. So if you yes. have a backpack, pack it with water, with bars, with first aid kits, with flashlights, with uh, crank hands or, or solar um, USB, like radios, radios, uh, chargers. So have that in a pack. That way, if you wear it on your person, if you're tossed 600 miles from where you need to be, but you're still alive, you have your own survival pack on you. That is probably my best recommendation. And what's funny about that is because we were talking about our emergency kits earlier and me and Brett both were trying to figure out how to make like pretty much smaller ones mm-hmm. that you carry yourself. And we found out they're bug out bags, which if you don't know what the original- Look it up. Uh, yeah, <laughs> what, what bug out bags really are. They're slightly different. They're a different kind yeah. of emergency. Yeah. You should just figure out yourself. Maybe we'll tell you in another episode, <laughs> but I think this is, this could be your own adventure. Yeah. So we don't, Choose you can make own. your own judgment. Yeah. <laughs> Use your own bug out bag. Yeah. You have to be prepared in every single event. And I think that's one of the things probably like not, not just our, our love for weather and the fact that mm-hmm. climate change is literally occurring in front of our eyes. Um, and that we want, yes. we want to make the public more aware of it, but that you can prepare to make yourself more safe for sure. So yes. um, just be smart and, you know, <laughs> use the old adage, baby, duck and cover, duck and cover, duck and cover, duck and cover. be prepared. So be prepared for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, uh. Cool. I think that was episode that one. Was episode one. I'm proud of us. So thank you for listening. Love it if you subscribe to the podcast. And if you can, write us a review on the Apple's podcast. It helps a lot. Also, we have some social media. It's probably going to be a little barren in the beginning, but we're going to fill it up. Good. So you can catch us on Instagram at PDS Podcast. You can catch us on Twitter at PDS Podcast, which you're going to see some... Um, 
interesting tornado stuff recently. I included a tornado video of a tornado going through a gymnasium and it's really fascinating. You can find us on Facebook, our Facebook page at Particularly Dangerous Situation. And of course our email, which if you want to just tell us a story, you have a suggestion, or maybe you have an I Survive uh, disaster story. Or if you have a correction, because we're going to- Or a correction, please. (laughs) Uh, That would be pdangerousSituation at gmail.com. So you don't have to continuously spell out particularly. So that's pdangerousSituation at gmail.com to contact us. Yeah. Do it up, ladies and gentlemen. Duck Duck and cover. Six 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 is six hundred sixty six miles between Portland and San Jose. Did you say six six (laughs) six? Yes. Stop it. Are you serious? You and I are the devil's number apart. Maybe if we sell our soul, our podcast will get huge and we go on tour.